Hello, climate change. <laughs> Hello. Oh, you're climate change now? Yes. Oh, okay. CC, you can call me for short. Okay. Hi, CC. Oh, this is Amy Callisher with my husband, Jim McPherson. And we wanted to talk to you about climate change today. This is, I think, the 32nd conversation in my, mm. my goal being 100 conversations about climate change. And honestly, it's more to talk to myself, to have someone to talk to about it myself, because it's such a big, huge thing to take on in your mind. And um, so many of my conversations have been with Jim, because you know what, Jim, I think the conversations I have with you are the conversations where I get to do more of my thinking out loud, Hmm. rather than trying to figure out how to draw out the other person. Well, I do that with you too. But anyway, it's been a while since I've recorded, and there's several reasons for that. One of them being, <sighs> people are busy, including me. A lot going on lately. And at this time of year, I've been going crazy with yard work, which I will talk more about because I think there's a relationship with my thinking about climate change. But anyway, Jim, I wanted to hear, let's start with you. What are your most recent thoughts regarding climate change? Have you evolved? Have I evolved? Oh, man, that's a tough question. I don't know that I've evolved. I think most recently I've been paying a lot of attention to the presidential primaries and have just been so struck by how little discussion there is of climate change. I mean, on the Republican side, if it's mentioned at all, it's mentioned because they believe it's a hoax, that it doesn't really exist. Yeah. And on the Democratic side, it's sort of quickly referenced as, yes, we have to deal with it. It's a very big problem. And then they move on <laughs> to, yeah. to whatever else. It really is, um, it's it's concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, is like, are, are there focus groups, are there polls saying that people just don't really care about this? So... They're not going to spend their time talking about it because it's not going to get them voters. Like, I, like how if we really believe this is like a serious threat to the yeah. survival of the planet as we know it, then how can you not be talking about it yeah. a lot? So I spoke to somebody the other day who told me it's her number one voting issue, which was nice to hear. It was a new, new friend. So I think it's out there that people are thinking about it. We should probably back up and say we're in the United States because some people are listening to this from other places. And I think I'm guessing that the world is watching the United States election and politics quite a bit around this topic in a way that, that I mean, there's I think there's more sort of focused attention on this topic, on the topic of climate change around politics in this country, outside of this country than in. And I, I have to admit, I think I'm going through some growing pains about taking this on. Like there's, there's, uh, let's see how to describe this. I think that, you know, as a young child, I really cared about the environment, but I also didn't think I had any power to do anything. I thought it's sad that, you know, we're not taking good care of our resources. And I think in the seventies and eighties, when I was going to school and learning my American history, there was, um, a point of view that was in, in the learning that we, that we did, the, the 
the lessons that we were given about Native American history that was like they understood something that we are just figuring out now. And this is in sort of liberal Connecticut where I was from. I don't know where other what other people experienced. But, um, but you know, so I got a little bit of a picture of something. Um, we've talked about it before, I think, on this podcast that there was a commercial around that time on television where they showed like a American Indian, as, as they were called then, um, uh, on a horse, like with a tear running down his eyes in the middle of a whole bunch of a polluted environment. You know, so we kind of got, I don't want to say sound bites, but, but sort of a, an ethos around sadness about the environment, but nothing about empowering about what we do. Hmm. And I, I feel like it's, it's, there's some kind of wall that I'm still working my way through about not feeling like it's pointless or, or I could never win or that it's hard and it's going to take up too much of my life to become an activist and an activism activists, or I don't know if I like them. No offense, activist friends. I like you. I like you activist friends, <laughs> but I, I have preconceptions about what that kind of stuff means. So I'm sort of processing all of that. And at the same time, realizing that we have what, two acres, something like that. A little under two, a little yeah. under two acres. And, I've been living here for 10 years and it's a very strange evolution happening for me, which is that I should also say backing up that in my twenties, even when I was a teenager, I was fantasizing about what, if I had my own land, what, you know, what I would like in the house I grew up on in was on, on a six acre plot and four of it was just lawn. And we spent hours mowing that thing on a tractor and I just kept fantasizing if ever this was my land you know where I was going to plant all the fruit trees and how big the garden was going to be and just like I guess I was fantasizing about being a farmer really um, a small scale farmer and I went on into my young adulthood to go work on farms and and uh, learn a lot about orcharding and I was an orchard management intern at one point at an experimental orchard all of this stuff was sort of and I and I kept building the list of things that I wanted to do once I had land. And then something happened when I moved here. And it got really hard for me to follow through. I started out, I planted a garden, and then ultimately felt like I I was supposed to be... I just felt guilty because I was enjoying myself too much. And it wasn't like it was bringing in money or something. And I couldn't like justify spending a lot of time in the yard instead of working on... on um, you know, making a comparable living to what you were making. Um, and so I talked myself out of it. And when client, when more and more client work came in, I took it and I ended up sort of roped to my computer for many years. And um, I'm saying all this because I think that there's two sides to caring for the environment. One is trying to change the system so that it is responsive to what really is going on and also how we live our day-to-day lives. And the day-to-day life part, it's very easy to focus only on that because you have so much more control. And there's so much, like I was saying, there's like so much less um, you have to work through around your expectations of people and systems. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so something happened for me, I don't know, maybe a month ago, and it sort of clicked for me that I was functioning under the 
I want to just, it sounds kind of extreme to put it this way, but the illusion of capitalism, which is that your value is in how productive you are in terms of making money. And ultimately I realized, wait a minute, this is my life. It's the only one I get. And I want to be outside and I want to grow food. And I, we have this land that has been neglected and let's clean it up. And it's been really fun, actually. I've been enjoying it. Our dog is visiting. So those are some thoughts about my evolution. Well, I just, I mean, listening to you talk, you know, the thought that comes to me is that I think it's, especially in this really heavy, intense capitalist system that we live in, it's, it's easy to uh, downplay or negate the, the little things that, that we all do, like planting a garden and taking care of a garden. And, you know, if enough people do a, a few little things, little in quotes, because mm-hmm. doing a garden is not a little thing, really. Depends. <laughs> but, but how big your garden is. Yeah, right. But if everybody does a few little things, it becomes a pretty big thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I guess that's my thought in listening to you talk. Is like I would encourage people not to to downplay the little things that they try to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to someone earlier today who was wrestling with their feelings about, you know, they're, she's in uh, California, in Northern California, and it's like 85 degrees a few days ago. And, and just how, how terrifying it is when you think about, you know, what, what the hell? It's 85 degrees. It's barely April, you know, and, and even in that climate, that was not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but the place that our minds go to, and I was seeing it in this, this person, um, our minds go to is like what trying to weigh, what am I doing and is it enough? And why do I feel like I'm still cr- learning to crawl when, and, mm-hmm. And I just, I was thinking, and I was saying also, like, you know, if there's anything else that you decide to take on in life, like you want to learn how to cook, you want to learn how to play tennis, you want to plant a garden for the first time, to use our recent example, um, you don't feel terrible about yourself because you're a beginner. Right, right. Why are we not allowed to be beginners Mm. in learning how to take care of our the larger environment. It sucks. I'll just say this. It sucks that we are beginners because we were deprived of something early in life that was like, this is your world and here's how you take care of it. You know, there's some kind of fundamental understanding of that that, sh- that should have been part of the picture all along, but it wasn't. So, okay, roll up our sleeves. Let's This will be fun. But... That's something I'm still trying to convince myself of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have to imagine it's a pretty universal feeling that people don't feel like they're doing enough. Yeah. Or they could be doing more. I mean, I could imagine people that are like professional activists feel like I'm not doing enough. There's, mm. you know, because especially when you talk about the environment and climate change specifically, it's just so big. And there's so many moving parts. Right. And to feel like you can have some effect on that, I mean, you'd have to have some pretty awesome, like, superpowers. Like, they'd be making movies about you if you 
if you as an individual could really significantly impact this big system thing called climate change. Mm. So, I mean, I get it why people kind of want to tune out to it. Yeah. Because it just it's hard to wrap your mind around. Um, you said a few things in there that I would that really made me want to f- say something. One is the the whole, about making movies about like I think there's something about the story the way we get stories now. It's always there's a big drama. There's a big hero. Like I think we it can be confusing when there's something like this going on that you're looking for how how do i be a hero mm. and it anything less than that is is insignificant and um also it's supposed to be hard or else it doesn't matter i don't know mm. there's, there's there's a lot of little pieces but yeah um and the other thought that i had and i'm not sure what you said that sparked it but was about well i should say that part of what's exciting to me about the work we're doing in the yard, because by the way, Jim has been help right alongside me helping. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm the burner, which may not be well, we so have, great for the environment. We have lots <laughs> of um, uh, pricker type uh, weeds in our yard. We have like this multi, what's it called? Multi-floral rose. It's I, I'm probably saying the name of it wrong, but there's this wild rose. It's not, it smells nice, but it's not. It it grows and like grows up trees and has huge thorns and takes over a lot of things. And then there's another type of prickery um, thing that's taking over as well, um, um, among other things. But those those are things we can't compost because the uh, the it's just dangerous. There's two. Those prickers are are. Sh- I mean, those things are. Killer. Yeah, they rip and your we, skin. Right, they rip your skin, and so you can't really work with it in your garden if if, it, if you can't. Our compost is not. We're just a two people living in a, you know, a two. This is just two people in one house. It's not like we have a whole neighborhood's worth of compost that can really heat up, and would break down those thorns, um, you know, uh, in a way that we could trust was consistent. So we can't do that. So we have to burn it um, to get rid of it. And otherwise, then we are creating, if we don't burn it, we just like drag it into a corner somewhere. We're creating habitat for woodchucks and rabbits and stuff that would eat all of our food. So it's not really what we want. <laughs> it's not ideal, but but um, but um, in this case, it's what we have to do. But anyway, yes, you've been doing much, most of the burning and some of the cutting down and there are other things as well. But anyway, what I wanted to say is the thing, one of the things that's exciting me about this process is that we're going to have too much food and we're also creating an outdoor like entertainment space. Our house is not very good for entertaining, but we can have a nice campfire pit. And um, I'm just really looking forward to the people in our lives coming over and me just handing them a head of lettuce or a few pieces of fruit or whatever, you know, something that I made. I'm starting to do some fermented foods um, and just like more homesteady type skills um, and I just, I just feel like it's exciting that others seeing us do this might, they might find it interesting and be inspired themselves. And I think when you have these kind of skills, when you realize that you can, you have a little sunny patch in your yard, or even if you have a shady, if you have a shady patch in your yard, you can grow lettuce and spinach. Um, 
you have a sunny patch, you can grow all kinds of things. Um, I think it becomes less scary to think about what really looking at what climate change demands of us in terms of changing our lifestyles, what it actually means. At least that's the way it feels to me. You're nodding, which means what? I hear what you said. I agree. You do agree? Yeah. Okay. So, and you also mentioned something when you said something about, what did you say, like professional activist, which is an interesting thing to hear because I never really thought of that as a, as a category of profession. Well, I meant like people who work for organizations yeah, right. that advocate for mm-hmm. these causes. Yeah. Well, I also made me think of Naomi Klein, who is more of a journalist than an activist, but she's really a leader of activists because she's putting out the information and celebrating what what activists are doing and i guess i guess you'd call her an activist as well um for sure you would call her that but anyway we about a month ago went and saw her speak and we brought a couple of friends and uh did no more than a couple three other three friends. so there's yeah. five of us who went um and um i had promised that we would talk about it and i was trying to get a date with one of those friends to do a podcast with one of them and just you know the timing just never happened so I think what's most important really is like not so much recapping what Naomi Klein said because if you're interested in she's got lots of things online you probably could even look up Clark University climate change teach-in so rather than going into the details of what we heard it'd be great to hear like what any insights you had or anything that struck you from it that you recall well, I really was impressed at the energy of, in the crowd. Mm. I mean, these it wasn't exclusively college students, but there were a lot of college students there, which I found very heartening mm-hmm. to uh, to know that the young people in on that campus were excited about the issue. Yeah. So that was that was the first thing. Um, I mean, she's just a very engaging speaker. Mm-hmm. She has a wealth of knowledge and can just rattle off information nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she really she really has studied this issue. I was very impressed with that mm-hmm. uh, about her personally. And I, I appreciated the way that she handled questions. There was uh, one man that pretty clearly was advocating for a role for nuclear power and you know, she you know she didn't like get into some confrontation he came across a little confrontational at mm-hmm. first because she has been outspokenly against it yeah and she has a rationale which i can talk about but go ahead right but i, I just appreciated the way that she let him talk and she respectfully answered his question and she uh, you know in just a few seconds gave a rationale for why she didn't think Nuclear was the answer, you know, because this guy was sort of putting it out like there's this silver bullet that we've got in a certain new kind of nuclear power that that is uh, is going to save us from destroying the planet. So all of those things went to making it a very enjoyable evening. It went by very fast. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what she said to him? Uh, why not? I don't remember exactly, no. What I remember from her book about nuclear power, and I don't know about this new kind of nuclear power, if it's the same same argument or not, but what I remember is that she said, um, she talked about 
the the effort to get nuclear power online and the amount of fossil fuels you need to build the nuclear plant the amount of expense that goes into building nuclear nuclear power and then um the amount of of she may have also talked about maintenance down the road whereas she said compared to that we already have the technology and there's it's proven profitable to use renewable energy um solar wind hydro and um and it's more it's already happening and it's uh so it's more quickly more more it can happen more quickly it can happen more cheaply and um so she said i don't it, that she talked about the danger of nuclear mm-hmm. and she said we don't need to to do that we don't need to why would we want to do that if we don't need to hmm. um i don't know if she mentioned this but i remember something a statistic about that the, the 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 earth receives from the sun enough energy i can't remember the de- it was like a huge number but it was something like in one hour the earth receives enough energy from the sun to 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 uh meet all of our energy needs for a year something like that if you know, if you were, to, if you could capture it and store it, right? I mean, you obviously yeah. aren't going to capture it all that quickly because yeah. we're using it for other things, like, you know, standing in the sunshine, maybe <laughs> growing some plants, whatever. But the point is that there's plenty of energy, is what what you were saying. Hmm. So, well, and the price of solar power is really plummeting, mm-hmm. and the profit there's there's there it's proving to be profitable to be a mm-hmm. manufacturer of it. So. Um, one thing that struck me and in the question and answer period at the end was there was someone who spoke, I don't, I think she was very, um, positive about this one woman's comments in in her reflections after the comment was made. Um, for me, it was sort of a, it was a nice little adjustment to my perspective. It was a woman who, I forget where she was, I think she was from Guatemala and she was talking about um, her, I don't know if she would have said frustration, but it came across that way to me, her frustration with all of our talk, our focus on energy needs and how we're going to meet our energy needs when she felt like it, where we should be focusing is on our food and water needs because humanity existed for a long time before we had, you know, these energy needs, quote unquote, before we had electricity and vehicles and stuff, um, at least power, you know, powered equipment or whatever. And she was saying, like, we don't, we, we, we can live without that. It's a different life, obviously, but we can live without that, but we cannot live without food and water. And I felt like she was so right. And it is, it is very interesting it's, it, it, there's a certain hubris, I guess, in our focus on this because food and water is so much more critical and is so much more endangered. At least that's the way it looks to me. Maybe it's, I mean, there, you could argue about that, whether it's so much more endangered. But it's, it is endangered because of climate change, because the the way... You know, the, the and it's endangered because of other ways that we're not caring for the environment. For instance, um, 
there's a strong understood connection now between why the bees are dying and pesticides. And it's still such a battle to get rid of the pesticides, but we need these insects to pollinate. Are are we going to want to live in a world where we have to walk around with little paintbrushes and tickle all the flower buds so that we can get them to grow? I mean, it happens already. There are certain crops that people do that for. Um, and certain parts of the world where people are doing that consistently as farm work. But, um, um, but it, it doesn't, we, nature provides. And yet, you know, for the sake of a more supposedly dependable yield from corn and soy or whatever, so what are the, the main crops? Corn, soy, canola, and so, I don't know, something like that. Anyway, I'm going to just stop that whole point right there because I think I've made it already. Anything else you want to say about that? Uh, about what you just said? Mm, anything, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, the, I remember the the person at the talk who made that point, and and I did think it was a it was a good one. Um, I don't think it changes the reality that once that people are not likely to, to give up a standard of living that they've already attained and to think that yes it's you know water and food are more primary but once you've learned to live with electricity and all the gadgets that we have I mean you can say yes we can live without these I mean in my lifetime, I've lived without yeah, me too. Most of the things that we have today, computers. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I remember the first time we got a, a color television. It was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes, it certainly is possible to live well and live more simply. Mm-hmm. But I think people tend, in general, to not desire that unless there's no option. Like I think there's a there's a is- there's a tendency of people to 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 want to hold, to either hold on or even add more to their standard of living. I don't yeah, I don't course. think people voluntarily well people do I mean but it, it I think it's relatively rare that people will say I don't need all this I need to simplify my life and I'm going to go live in a cabin somewhere and not and sort of unplug and there certainly are people that do that but most people don't and most people are going to continue to want all of the conveniences that we have and more when they become available um we were talking about this just yesterday of or that was it this morning where i had a reaction to a new banking system where it's everything is completely online and they never have to have they they have hundreds of thousands of customers out of this one office in Oregon with mm-hmm. about 300 people that they employ. And it would have taken, you know, a sales force of about 6,000 with branch offices in the old days. And that's a convenience that people have now. But I'm not, I'm not really sure what your point is. The the question or the comment that the person made at, at the Naomi Klein event Yeah paints a picture of people turning the clock back. Like we don't really, we don't, like we can do without all of this stuff. 
and that's true. But my my point is, it's not likely that people are going to wake up and say, "Oh, we don't need all of this. I'm going to start turning off all yeah. of like all the electricity that we drain by having See, all these machines on." Yeah, I don't. I didn't take that question in that way. I didn't think it was saying. Um, we we sh- we could and should do without these things. I I don't think that that was her point at all. I think her point was that we're our focus needs to be on how we think uh, how we regulate the system so that we take care of meeting our needs for food and water, mm-hmm. and and that that is so much more critical and central to our existence, and that this power stuff, the energy use stuff, is almost like a distraction. You know, it's let's just put that aside right now. Let's stop talking about it and let's talk about what do we need to secure so that we know with this changing climate, how are we, you know, with this is going to be so much hotter and this place is going to dry out and there's these many mouths to feed and we are using all of our farmland on cows and we're driving farmers out of business and our water is being polluted here and all those things like we need to clean all this up because we're going to need these resources even mm. more and that's that's like an area of focus that's being sort of it's just beginning to be taken seriously and I talked to Eric Tonsmeyer who just wrote a book about called the carbon farming solution and by the way that's my if you haven't heard the more the the podcast right before this one this is about this topic and with this author um he was saying that he wrote this book making this argument of why, about how we can be looking at as at agriculture as a way to mitigate climate change and also to address the problems that arise from climate change both of those things and he said that he went to Paris to the to the um big conference on climate change the UN conference that happened this past winter and said that he was already out of date because it's it, people don't people are starting to take it on as this needs to be addressed too like that that argument has been heard but it's it still sounds to me like it hasn't trickled down to everybody yet it hasn't become something that when you and I and and most of us who are just trying to wrap our minds around it are talking about it, we keep gravitating to talking about, well, how are we going to keep the lights on and how are we going to drive our cars, you know, and our comp- have to keep our computers and blah, 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 blah. Because those are the things that we're, I think, maybe more panicked about. We take the water, food and water more for granted. Um, so I just think that's interesting. And I and also want to say that by taking on figuring out how to grow more of our food. Um, I feel like I'm making that more central for myself. And I'm also noticing that by spending a lot of time working on our land, I'm deepening my relationships with our neighbors because, you know, our next door neighbor comes over on a regular basis to check out our, my progress, you know, and, and and she's excited. She's excited to see what we're doing. And we're going to be going on a trip for a few days to go celebrate my, father's 90th birthday and she's going to come over and water my little seedlings which is very nice and um you know i'm looking forward to meeting our neighbor down the street who has some forestry knowledge that our other neighbor friend down the road has told me about said oh you really need to meet and then you need to meet the people over in that house and they're really into mushroom um foraging and stuff so i was like (laughs) starting to get like excited about 
how to bring our neighbors into our lives more and not just like the people that we have things in common with who live in the next town who we've already been considering our friends. And it's, it's really interesting to me to see that all of this comes out of taking a shovel into the yard and a pair of clippers and just sort of thinking about our little piece of land and really getting more rooted in it. It's changing me in good ways, I think. Mm. And it's also, I think it's giving me some space to th to think about climate change on my own terms and not so much about what I feel like I should do. I still feel like there's stuff I should do or should pay attention to or should figure out because no matter what I do on our little two acres, it, you know, and if the bigger system just comes in and destroys the world. Anyway, what do you want to add? Anything? Um, I don't know that it is directly going to impact climate change, but it was kind of exciting to see Tesla announce their new, more affordable car mm -hmm. that they're rolling out. Electric and, car. Yeah, and how many advance orders they'd already received. I think they initially were, were over 100,000 very early on, and the last thing I saw, they were over like 300,000. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Mm hmm I mean, if people, if people are that receptive to, you know, a fossil fuel-free car, mm -hmm. that's that's a good statement. That's a really good statement. Yeah, that's true. And we're coming up on a primary. So for, for people who don't know the system in this country, we're working on getting our candidates together for the presidency. And the de the Democrats are narrowed down to two. And what would you say? Are the Republicans narrowed down to two at this point? Well, yeah, mostly it's two. I mean, there are three in the running, but mm -hmm. two that primarily are are uh, leading. Yeah. And it looks like it's shaping up to be Hillary versus Trump. Do you think? God, I hope not. I hope it's I hope it's Hillary, but not Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know how much in the politics we really want to get, but. We don't have to go deep, but I think it's people, people are thinking about this too. And I think it's worth. The world should holding. be very, the world should be very afraid that our one major party is in the process of nominating one of two very, very far right wing people. Yeah. Um, one, well, Trump, I, Trump actually has policy ideas that are sort of all over the map. Yeah. But, no, but for the most part, he would be considered pretty far right. Yeah. And the other guy, Cruz, is just... I think he'd be just, considered somewhat fascist. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Cruz is just... I just can't even imagine that they would actually nominate that guy. He's mm -hmm. so far right with all of his policies that it would just dramatically change all the initiatives around climate change. You know, feeble as you may think they are, they're, you know, that our country has been trying to put into to play. Yeah. Uh, it would just completely reverse all of those. It would be, a I mean, it would be a major setback for the planet mm -hmm. to have either one of those guys in the president's office. Mm. Um. As far as Hillary versus Bernie, um, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been very torn. Uh, 
Um, I um, am very excited by the things that Bernie is able to say. And uh, I would love to see him have a bigger platform to say these things. And I'd love to hear have him be able to say them to the people who are supporting Trump. Because I really do believe that a lot of people would be swayed by what he has to say. And it would it would raise the intelligence of our country to, to have people really understand how the system is rigged financially. So I th- find that exciting. I think it's very clear that Hillary is a fighter, but to, to have a voice on the national stage, she has had to make political allegiances with corporate entities, and it does compromise her integrity if not her integrity then the amount that people trust her Mm. but she's very clear about sexism and hillary isn't i mean i'm sorry bernie isn't quite so clear so it's i feel like for different reasons i'd be excited by either one of them being the nominee but holy cow if they don't win It's scary. Um, it's a scary thought. Yeah, and and I do think we're going to have some like some major riot. I mean, it's already happening at Trump rallies. I think there's some violence is going to erupt in this country even more uh, around this. And it's it. There's a part of me that looks forward to it because I everything that's hidden to be exposed, you know, people's prejudices and feelings and whatever. Um, and for a little while, I did have feel as strongly as lots of people. Um, are saying, which is in the joke, you know, all the comedians are joking now about like how we're all moving to Canada if um, Trump becomes president. But all the more, but there came a point where I realized as much as I would joke, I mean, I never would, but um, like there may be some, there's a special need to stick around for the sake of the people who can't, who can't walk away from right. Our our need to be politically active might become stronger. Mm -hmm. Right. So, anyway, thank you for having another conversation with me about this. Um, I'm hopeful that I'm like about a third of the way through this project. I'm hopeful that, and I do think a lot has changed for me since I started. But it'd be really interesting to see where I'm at another third of the way down, because I do think I really still have a long way to go. Come on, I'm on some mailing lists of local activists, and I just can't even bring myself to read those emails lately. And I do care about what they say, but I just, I feel, I have to work through whatever's in my way there. Because I do care about what's going on. So, stay tuned. (laughs) Want to say anything else? No. All right. Well, thanks for listening. The website for this uh, podcast is hellocc.info. I have a couple of interesting interviews lined up, so um, so yeah, so stay tuned. All right, bye for now.